It's got wheels. Oh. <laughs> Someone left a Nerf gun bullet. So if you're short one, Nerf gun bullet. It's so random. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> I was complaining the other day that we're not breaking enough things as a youth group inside the building. So, um, and then I saw a hole in the wall there, but I think it's old. I think it's pretty old. So, um, just that, yeah, I didn't give any permission to break anything. I just think, just, you know, to clear my name. <laughs> but it is good if we're a bit wild. So, we're part of a series. It's, it's week three of Wholehearted. And what's really good is, um, because week three is all about action and doing something through your faith, uh, we wanted to share some photos with you, some, some of what we're busy with in our community. One of the things is that we identified a high school in our local area that um, has a bit of challenges, um, has obviously has funding issues, um, and needs Jesus. And so we prayed about it. God opened a door for us, and, and we're currently represented in the PNC and through a project called High Love. And so some of our High Love activity uh, the last couple of weeks has been that we, we, took them, we took a pie warmer to the school, which was great. And you'll see one now. There it is. It's very heavy. It's super, super heavy. But I'm very strong. So I could carry it. And lightweight. <laughs> the pie warmer's in the box. Yeah. And so we, we took it in. And um, <laughs> Vanessa actually carried the pie warmer. But, but anyway, they didn't have one. And so, um, or the one they had was, wasn't good enough. And so we just gave that to them as a gift after hearing they needed it. Subsequent to that, we identified that in most schools, the admin staff are the hardest working people in a school. Can I have an amen? No? No admin staff in the room? Anyway, they work really hard, and they're in the back room, so they don't get to always get the glory. Teachers are great. I love you, okay? Don't want to make enemies in the room here. But um, we decided that we're going to bless the admin staff with, that's still the pie warmer and us delivering it. And so we took coffee and cake. Uh, with our friends at YWAM, uh, we took it over to them and just blessed them. Uh, they initially didn't really want to invite us in, but we had very strong personalities represented. They just pushed into the inner corridors of education, and we, um, and we then delivered the coffees uh, to all the teachers there and, and specifically to the admin team, that, which includes the principal, etc. Um, and so really great opportunity for us to just showcase our intent. Our intent is to share Jesus. That's our agenda. But the way we do it is we engage on a practical level. We serve. We think that that's how Jesus did it. If you look at Scripture, He started with a posture of serving, of loving, and then while introducing people to their identity, there was a moment where they realized their salvation that is caught up in Him. But we start with a posture of serving. So we went to the school. We did that. They were blown away. Phenomenal. So much so, in fact, that they um, phoned us back the week after and said, listen, since you guys are so helpful and you know, loving and everything. There's a couple of families that we're connected to that from time to time needs a bit of help. And so they gave us a reference to go and visit a couple of families in our local context. And so we did. And so the last week, actually yesterday, feels like last week, yesterday, we took a small team and uh, visited a local house, did a bit of a working bee. Who loves a working bee? <laughs> working bees are great, except if it's in your own garden. And I, I just rem- yesterday reminded me, we had like five dogs as I grew up, and they were big dogs. And so it was my task on a Saturday afternoon to grab a tool called the pooper scooper. And then I would collect those things. <laughs> it was terrible, isn't it? Uh, but sometimes when you do something outside of your house, it's much more fun. And yesterday was great. We had coffee. We went into a local space, and we served. For me, this is what the church is like. Um, that's what church looked like. And Saturday morning, we had a bit of church. And so we worked our way through that process. Um, and so if you want to join us, and I guess we're not putting a solid rhythm down, but from time to time, we're going to gather. Um, please give me your name. If you want to show people what you believe um, versus telling them, um, come and get involved because I think it's super important. And part of that is people in our church that have recently just done that um, and I've got Linda's name on, but Ray is here. <laughs> and um, is he, are you the better version? or No, not. And he's just going to share with us how he got involved in his street. Is that okay? All right. 
Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Look, three weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was um, inspired in some ways to buy my uh, readings, Lent readings. I'm doing Lent readings. I'm ahead of you the eight days. I started 40 days ago. <laughs> but there was, a, there was a passage there about helping out in the community. And I thought, I wonder what we're doing in our community to help people out. So I jumped on the internet and found the Brisbane City Council has this amazing uh, program to homeless people. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. What are we doing in Mortonshire? And I went and looked at Mortonshire, and there's this thing, Neighbour Day. And I went, what's that? Went and had a look. And it was coming up on Sunday, the 31st of March, which is a week away from then. And I read into it and said, it's a national day. I've never heard of it. We invite your neighbours. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is, a, this is a really interesting. Two months ago, and I think, AJ, you were there, my wife, Leah, said, I really would like to think that we could get to know our neighbours this year somehow. We've been there 29 years at our place. And our neighbours have moved to come and go and everything, they've all changed. And we thought, oh yeah, how do we do that? And that's a big sort of, how do you do that? People, you know, people work, you don't see anybody, no one walks the streets, no one walks their dogs or kids or anything actually. It's a pretty quiet street. This neighbour thing came up and I said, Linda, we should do this. And she looked at me and go, are you kidding? <laughs> I go, hey, it was just a, I guess it was the point of saying, yes, we'll do this, Lord. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we'll make it happen. So we got on the internet and got down invitations and we made out an invitation. I delivered invitations to everybody in the street, put up signs all around the neighbourhood in front of our house, balloons, the whole bit. Everybody knew that Neighbour Day was happening at our house on that Sunday. We got sausages in, put all our, gar all our furniture out in the front yard. We <laughs> and we thought, who's going to turn up? We didn't know. We just sort of thought, well, God, we'll see what happens. So at the end of the day, put the barbecue on, we had sausage sizzle, I had onions and stuff smelling up and down the street. Not a single sign of anybody for an hour. Nothing. We thought, well, this is good. So I'm sitting there munching on a, on a sausage and then suddenly the lady across the road comes over with her kid and then the lady from down the street came up and then a young couple came down the street with their two kids and we suddenly we had a four, three families just sitting with us. We were just chatting about stuff and they were sharing each other. They'd never met each other and we were sharing about schools and talking about um, stuff that happened in their community. Two of them have special needs children and they were sharing what they were doing. And we was, we just facilitate, all we did was facilitate that. Another lady came down later and said, oh, I've missed it, I'm so sorry, that's okay. I had two RSVPs, people who'd missed it and sent to me. And out of that thing, we decided, uh, it was just decided, we should meet more. So we've got an Easter egg hunt coming up, and we've got Christmas parties coming, oh, yeah, you know. But, and, but one thing that came out of it said, we need to communicate with each other a bit more. So they said, we should have a Facebook page. Okay. I set up a Facebook page. So now we've got seven people who are part of our Facebook page. So, and we're just developing that and saying, what can, you know, so we're thinking, how can we use that and how can we do our next event? So that's all we're doing. Nothing, just a mate. I think we can so easily um, take a story like that and even just in our humility, we downgrade the impact that something like that could have. Uh, because we, we don't want to state something that it's not and we're careful. Uh, for me, that's church planting. For me, that is frontline missional work on the edge of society. <laughs> and the reason it is, is because very few people, a handful, within a community of 200 or 300 people, often act upon what they believe. And the challenge isn't for people that are excluded from our society because we need to include them. It is for those that have discovered that God has chosen them and that He loves them and that He resides in them. And so, in tonight's message, some of what we share will have a challenge element to it. We use that word often, especially me and Clinton, um, because I think it's important that we do that for people who are believers. So if you're here tonight and you're you're not fully on the Christian journey yet. You don't understand how everything works. Can you just sit back and observe how we talk 
to our people. How we talk to people when they're on the road and on the journey, because it's important. Often we start our Christ walk and our journey when groups invite us into this glorious, beautiful thing that we're going to be saved and be in heaven for all eternity, and it's wonderful, and, and we don't want to go to hell. So we say yes, and we run to the front, and we're like, please, Jesus, and, and we have a genuine experience. And then the week afterwards, we attend again, and then they say, okay, we just wanted to say, yes, last week was all about you, but it's kind of not about you. <laughs> and then we feel tricked. We're like, what? I thought this is going to make me happy, and like, I'm going to be blessed and not stressed, and like, the anointing is just going to flow. And, and it's different, because I think what we should be communicating is that God so loved the world that He saved everyone, He's included humanity, that includes us as well. And so even in our salvation and the discovery of what that means, we are mobilized to know that when my brother is saved, I'm saved. That when my brother is blessed, I'm blessed. That when people who are different to me in their faith or their life, when they do well, I do well. There's something in the Christian story that says that I'm not just in this for myself. And that in essence, I am included, but it's not about me. It's about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and we'll talk more about that. We have a lot of questions about that at the moment. It's about the perichloesis, the dance, the divine dance between those three expressions of God, and the fact that they are having a conversation, and they've had it before time began, that we are included into. In fact, you could say that sometimes we are the topic of their conversation. They're talking about us. And other times they're talking about others, but we're included in that conversation. And there's this divine dance between God, because God is not singular in the sense that He just has Himself to talk to, but He has community. As part of His essence is that God has created Himself in a context of community. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And there's these different contexts in which we can discover Him. So everything about what we do is community. And when we talk about a series of wholeheartedness, we want to challenge you to move from a place of passion, the discovery of what God has done for you, to a place of compassion. And it's interesting, those two first letters in that word, and it's not relatable, but it says co, co, compassion. I don't think that this Christian journey can be isolated to an experience that you have on your own, where you just sit in a room and you're like, I feel so blessed, so wonderful, life is great. I think there's something in it that says it must happen in community. It must happen in the context of the other, of people that are with me on this journey. You can't do it alone. And it's important for you to be in that context of community. And God knows that. That's why He is what He is. And He created us for that context. So to move from passion to compassion, we have to understand that there's a shift from me being blessed, from me understanding what's been done for me, to understanding that I am included in a bigger picture of what God has done for humanity. You see, something is happening. Good catch, AJ. Something's happening in our church. And it's happening when everything works. I think we're, co we're pressing at the same time. Okay, good. Something happens when passion translates into compassion. Something happens when love looks like something. Who loves a good romance? You can be proud. It's okay. I know there's some males here that love a good romance, a bromance. I know there's moments where you're like, I just, I just want to sit back and drink a cup of tea and, and just watch a happy, happily ever after story, isn't it? I can just, yeah, it's okay. I can see it in your eyes. You don't have to agree physically. <laughs> but there's something plastic in romantic stories. It's plastic because it's conditional. It's plastic because if something terrible happens between those two people, their relationship is over. It's very surface level. He saw me on the other side of the room, and I had goosebumps. And then we met and we had dinner and fed each other pasta or something. Like whole meal, organic, low carb, cardboard. And we just wanted to go and, you know, swim in the river. I don't know. 
But there's a love that we're called to that has very deep elements to it. That when you discover it, you have to live it out. And when you live it out, it actually changes something in you. None of our community initiatives or activities are things purely for the benefit of the people that we go to. We don't take God into the homes He calls us to. He's already there. We don't bring love into the room. Love lives in those people, in those homes. And when we go, we don't go with the posture of, I know everything and I'm coming to sort you out or clean you or fix you or rehabilitate you. I myself am a recipient when I move into a space. I myself am loved when I go into a place where there is no tangible physical love. Because they minister to me. Because there's something that transfers and something that happens when love looks like something. Wholehearted, it's not in my other thing. Wholehearted, in our definition, says that we are completely and sincerely devoted, marked by complete, earnest commitment. Or another way to say it is free from all reservedness. I don't know how you can be wholehearted and be passive. I don't know how you can claim to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus the Christ and not act it out in your world. Sure, you can agree. Sure, you can wear the bumper sticker, the little fish in the back of your car, or the what will Jesus do bracelet on your arm. Sure, you can, you can do these things, but if you're not living it out, it's not authentic. You see, I think that we condition ourselves in the church context where we attend a lot of events. And it's good. It really is. It's a healthy community. But there's a point where we take in more than what we exhibit out. And I know all about that. Because I love burgers. Burgers are good. I'll eat 10 burgers a day. I'm telling you. Like breakfast, morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea, Early evening dinner, dinner, post-dinner snack. Oh, how were we? Seven. Okay, like late night movie snack. Uh, the burger that I forgot like was in my bed from last night's snack. <laughs> we still need one. And in my dream, I'll, well, I'll have another burger. But we as believers become gluttonous and obese with the amount of content that we can consume. Conferences, Bible studies, scripture reading, Christian home group, whatever you call it, and all those things are good in itself. And all those things build us up in self. But if the living word is not alive in us, the logos, the opinion of God that expresses itself outward, if that's not at the same time alive in us while we are doing these activities, there's no action. And so we take in more word than we can handle. I read a story of a 92-year-old Chinese leader. I read it after I heard my father reference it. And he has a little practice where he brings people into his underground church, and then he reads scripture to them, and they're allowed to leave, but they're not allowed to come back if they haven't performed what they learned or read in that teaching. It's not great for church attendance <laughs> because people struggle and they're not going to come back next week because that one thing hangs on it. I've heard a story of a pastor that did a series and week one he started, he preached. Week two, he preached the same sermon. He did the previous week. Week three, the same sermon. Week four, exactly the same sermon. Now, I think the first week you do it again, people are like, Okay, let's, he's, let's not embarrass him. Like, we'll just, if they remember what he preached the previous week. I think by the third week, they're getting agitated. Like, who does this guy think we are? Are we stupid? Is this, day, is this Groundhog Day? Greatest movie ever. Is this Groundhog Day? Like, what is happening? And eventually, he confessed and he said, listen, you're not doing what we're talking about. So I'm wasting my time preparing another sermon 
or series or message if what we're communicating isn't resonating. And you might say it might be the quality of the preaching. You know? He didn't give three points, and they weren't all with P's, and he's not wearing skinny jeans. I can't see any skin. Or I don't know, like, what is the thing? Where, where is the moment where our passion translates to compassion? Where is that moment? Where, where do things click for us? Where do things happen like what happened with Ray? And we celebrate that because that's a moment of activity where he is now connected to seven homes in his street. Don't tell me that's not significant. Where a believer of Christ, a Christ follower is connected to his neighborhood and he's never been connected to that neighborhood, that street. Am I right? There's never been activity there. They're missional. They, they go all over the world making a difference and they decided that they're going to bring the mission to their street. What if churches could do that? What if they could duplicate what they're doing internationally, locally? What if we could, and we'll get to it later, when we dream. But spiritual gluttony, spiritual obesity happens when we take in too much for our activity. At the same time, this is confession, and I've said it before, often preachers preach what they themselves do not do. Fully, anyway. To a certain extent, I'm active in the space. And what's good about this week is we had a really full-on missional week. So I'm on fire because I'm here and I'm like, oh, I was like Jesus this week. But was I? <laughs> because everything I do communicates something. I read Romans 10 verse 7 and 8 just this afternoon in praying for tonight. And it says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from heaven, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Have you noticed how often we invite God into a place He already is? Or we are like fish, thirsty for the presence of God. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. The living word of God is in our mouth and it's in our heart. I think there's a reason he mentions both. And without looking at the original context of the scripture or the translation, in this moment I feel like God is not just in what we say and proclaim and sing. And I think... I think the saints got it right when they said that God speaks often, not through words, but through our actions. I think there's something where our words need to correlate with what sits in our heart. And maybe we'll see more fruit from that. I think wholehearted Christians exhibit a couple of things. I think one of the things they exhibit is affirming love. We are known for what we are for not simply for what we're against. Am I right? And the only time that we're against something, Jesus in the temple, is when we're actually for something. I think when God looks at you through His Holy Spirit, He doesn't discipline you in the sense of pointing the finger, accusing you of something that you're not. Okay? Jesus doesn't look at you and He points at you and He says you're a sinner. He doesn't do that. The accuser does. The enemy, Satan, does that. I think what Jesus does is He points His finger at who do you truly are. He looks at you, he speaks at you, of course he does. He's not going to leave you, he loves you. But he points the finger to who you are and he says, look there my friend, that's who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are perfect, you are whole, you are blameless, you are without guilt, without shame. You are right because of what I've done, that is who you are. And in that sense, he affirms us. Don't you think that God could edify you and affirm you and in that, those two ways he would discipline you? I think God does that. I think He disciplines us through affirmation. He disciplines us through edification because the Holy Spirit edifies. The Holy Spirit doesn't do anything that's not edifying. So He looks at you and He says, you're great. Now be who you are. Be great. I love if we could be in a place where we parent like that for the parents in the room. 
where we don't identify children as being something that they're not, but continuously speaking over them who they truly are. And I promise you, and I've done this with my kids, and I'm doing it with them, and and sometimes it's successful, (laughs) sometimes it's not. But I think in the long run, if you continue to speak life over your children and the people around you, things will change. With your husband, with your wife, with your parents, with the people that you find challenges with, it's always an affirming love. Richard Raw says, the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. Often in my Christian journey, I've looked at church and I've said, man, I just hate that churches do that. I don't like this and I don't like that. And, and you know, I don't, I don't like these statements that they make and I don't like the fruit of that ministry. But the best way to communicate what I see to be truth is to live it out in a different way. And I think this community has the capacity to have an affirming love. Now, these, these statements that I make today about love have, have implications, but they also have deep applications. And I'm not going to give you all the answers. You have to write it down if you think it's important. And then you have to meditate on what the implications and applications are of these statements. Because how will this help you shape and change the way that you love people in your world? The second type of love that wholehearted people exhibit, exhibit is a very important word, by the way, is an inconvenient love. Shane Claiborne says, people are beat up at inconvenient times. It's true. Think of, think of biblical stories that references this moment. Do you think that people get mugged at convenient times? Okay, I'm ready. Let's go. I've got two hours. In my program, I need to be recovered and get a bit of cream and someone needs to look after me. So just beat me up. I'm ready. (laughs) Or do you think it happens? Hey, the story of the Good Samaritan is a perfect example. It happens at inconvenient times. The other day, just before we went to the school and took the cake, me and Robbie were walking to go and buy the cake. And the old dude, I'm not going to say how how old he was because this is an older gentleman. His car broke down on the other side of the road at a very inconvenient time because <laughs> we were late and we had plans and people were waiting for us. And both me and Robbie are Christians, so we couldn't look at each other and just go on, you know? So we looked at each other and we're like, okay, <laughs> let's go and help the man. So we helped him. We jumped in the car. One of the other friends, Alan, is here. He, was, he stopped right behind it to stop all the traffic. And so in a divine appointment, we pushed his car out of the way. And Alan actually had probably 20, 25-minute talk to this guy. He has terminal cancer, I believe. There's a lot of challenges. I don't believe he knows Jesus in depth. And they had a moment where he could share the gospel with a man because we were willing to be inconvenienced. Paul Scanlon has a little book, The Five-Minute Miracle, where you take five-minute from your day, bless your heart, you're so generous. We take five minutes off your day and you're willing to be inconvenienced. Can we have an affirming love? Can we have an inconvenienced love? Is that okay? If it's not, you know what? Just don't, don't do this. Don't say that you're on the walk, on the journey, following the way, which is the way of Christ. Don't identify as a Christian if you're not willing to go on the road. Because it's going to cost you something. It's not going to cost you eternity because Jesus did that for you. It's going to cost you something now. It's going to be inconvenient now. The third kind of love is wholehearted people exhibit unconditional love. This is what I was talking about, is that it's easy for us to love other people when we can draw a line in the sand, right? Where we can say, I'll love you until you do that. I love you until you cheat on me. I love you until you break my heart. I love you until you lie to me. I love you until... I love you until... I love you until. Now, don't hear me wrong this tonight that, that, that there are abusive relationships in this world. 
And there are moments where Jesus will tell you, my friend, you need to get out from that space because this person's not going to change. And I advocate for people like that all the time. Don't, don't mishear me. But the type of love that God is, not that He has, because we're comfortable with saying that God loves, right? Because that's an activity. It's an attribute. It's a moment where He loves. Did Jesus just have a good moment on the cross? Did Jesus just have a good moment in becoming flesh? The word we can know. Jesus is love itself. God is love. God cannot do anything that contradicts Himself. He's love. He can contradict you because of your expectation, but he can't contradict himself. God is love. So God loves. It's not hard for God to love because we're not completely in that process. Often it's hard for us to love. So we struggle to love unconditionally. I know pastors who preach messages that say that God doesn't love unconditionally, and I rebuke that <laughs> because I look at the life of Jesus, and I see a God making a decision to turn his face away from sin, to turn his face away from iniquity, but to turn his face towards his children. I see a God who descended into the depths of hell and, call, and still he is calling his children back. Come on, come back. This is who I am revealed in Christ. There's no place you can escape my presence because I've done it in the depths, I've done it in the heights, and I've decided that heaven has come to earth and I'm here. That's the God revealed in Christ. And I don't see for one moment that there are any conditions connected. So Romans 8.1 says that we are, that there is no, therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Who lives according to the flesh, uh, according to the spirit and not according to the flesh? Interesting that when the biblical writers wrote their little things, they didn't write in chapters. And they didn't use, what do you call it? Punctuations, exclamation marks, what do you call it? Saint, huh? Oh, sentences, sure. Anyway, they didn't mark or start their sentences, so it was absolutely up to the interpreter to say when something ends and when it starts. And if it doesn't end in a convenient space, I change where it ends, and I change where it starts. And believe me, it makes a big difference where you put the emphasis. In this scripture, this sentence needed to end with, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. End of the sentence, the chapter, the statement. We struggle with that. We do. Because we, we are following a Jesus that is more like a boyfriend or more like a best mate, and he's our friend, and more human. You see, you, God's divinity is revealed in his humanity. And what he did as a human has showed us what true divinity is. I think God revealed himself completely fine when he became flesh. In Matthew 10, verse 32 to 33, there's a little scripture there that always bothered me. Where Jesus is speaking and he says, If you deny me in front of the Father, I will deny you. It challenged me because, in a sense, it contradicted what I read about Jesus. What I knew about God, it, it, it challenged me deeply because I said, well, does that mean that, that if I turn my back on Jesus, that he's gone? That he's out of the picture? And where does the whole story of Peter denying Jesus three times, where, where does that, how does that play out in the bigger scheme of things? Because I can't reconcile it. And what's really good then is you get smart friends and so I have some smart friends. I'm super stupid. You get some smart friends and you tell them, listen, just go and do the hard work for me and go down into the scriptures and, and tell me what the real meaning of this word deny is. The meaning of this word deny is arneomai, which is the root word. And arneomai means to contradict. And what Jesus is saying in this moment is he says that you look at me and you think that if you hurt my feelings or if you turn your back on me, or, or if, you, if you don't accept me or love me or read your Bible enough or pray enough, you think that I'm going to turn my back on you. You think that I'm going to punish you. You think I'm retributive. You don't know I'm restorative. You think I'm going to get you back. You think that I'm a vengeful God that's going to come on a riding horse with a sword to conquer for the nation of Israel. You think that I'm a God who brings death 
and destruction because that is how you penned it in the Old Testament. You think that I'm a God of violence. And you know what? When you think that, I'm going to contradict you right back and I'm going to love you anyway. You want to be offended because you think you can perform your way into eternity? You want to be offended because you think that, that anything you do could ever bring any distance between us? When the word, the, the logos, the opinion of the creator of heaven and earth has come to make its home on earth, you think that your hissy fit or tantrum or little thing where you fall on the floor and you cry, you think that that's going to get me or convince me that I'm not going to love you anymore and I'm going to deny you in front of the Father, my friend. I have represented you in heavenly realms. You are seated in me, in the Father. There is nothing that you can do that ever, ever, ever changes my mind about you. I know you're not convinced. And it's then when you're at a good place because I can reach you. The moment you think you're unreachable, untouchable, unlovable, that is when God comes and he says, hello, I'm in the room. You're a fish in water, you can't escape me. And for some people, that's going to be living hell. The presence, the fire of God that's going to burn all the crap away. I don't know how I can be clearer than that. And that's my conviction. And if it offends you, good. Let it offend you into action. Let it offend you into a life that believes what it believes and acts on it. And if you believe that people are separate from God, live it out, brother. Just do something. If you believe that, that God is retributive, hate the heck out of your, your people. You know, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to love the hell out of them. And if I'm not doing that, keep me accountable. Okay, I feel better. <laughs> the fourth one, wholehearted people exhibit enemy love. You see, I think it's easy to love, oh, it's not easy. I think it's sometimes really hard to love our family. No amens, don't worry. I think it's hard to love our neighbor. It'd be really annoying. Some neighbors start like, you know, they, they start cutting their grass at really early times of the morning or they don't take out their rubbish or I don't know. What does your neighbor do that irritates you? I don't know. But loving our enemy for me is, is the point to where God takes us, where he's like, if you can go there, you will be seen as my child. We read this. We read this in the scripture. In Matthew 3, uh, 5 verse 43, and I'm going to read it with you. Love your enemies. You have heard that it was said in the law, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, the Logos, the opinion of God saying this is what's true about me. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I don't know about you, but a couple of weeks ago, a terrible thing happened in New Zealand, right? We all observed it. I hope it shifted and moved something in you, man, like... I remember the day I watched the Twin Towers go down. I was homesick. I was sitting in South Africa watching, and I remember watching the news. The first plane had struck, and I sat there, and I saw the second one hit, and I started crying. I didn't even know the reality of it. I started crying. I don't know how old I was, pretty young. When this thing happened in New Zealand, I started crying. If you didn't cry, I want to I ask you to see a Christian counselor or a psychologist, or something, someone with serious qualifications. Because something is broken in you when you don't hurt, when other people hurt. Something is seriously, there's a massive challenge in your life that you need to get through if you're not emotional when other people hurt. It's narcissism. 
And some of it sits in all of us, me included. When I so am focused on my own life and the conditions that are drawn around me, that I struggle to see God in others. You know, I saw God most in the Christchurch terror attack. I saw Him most in the Muslim man who on public TV got to a place where he said that he forgave the man who killed his family. That's where I saw God. We can sit and wrestle through your definitions of what's right and what's wrong and who's faith, and I don't care. I saw God in that man. Don't tell me that that is darkness that sits in a man who can forgive someone who murders his family. Don't tell me that your definitions of what's right and wrong trumps a man that can come from that plane of grief and communicate such a message of love. Don't tell me that your religion conquers love because I don't want anything to do with that religion. You see, our faith is a radical one. Our faith is an affirming one. It is an inconvenient one. It is an unconditional one. And it's one that just smells of enemy love. Think about the person that you hate the most in this moment. If it's me, love me. <laughs> Please. <laughs> if it's, who is it? If it's you, love you. Do you hate yourself? Are you your biggest enemy? You see, I think we can be so fixated on our definitions of things. In the last two weeks, we walked into two homes with significant challenges. Won't stay back from that, but with the greatest potential. Young people with incredible gifts on their life. God is in the room. And I just wrote a little snippet, and I put it on Facebook, and I'll read it for you just so that you're on the journey. Is that okay? Stepping into a home. This is my story. It's almost like a spoken word. I'm practicing. Stepping into a home where pain is prevalent and doctrine is irrelevant. They don't care what I believe. They don't care what version of the Bible I read last week. Okay? They are locked in their pain. Forces us into a posture of serving. When I can't debate you, when we don't have opposing views that I'm aware of, I am forced into a posture of serving. What can I do with my hands and my feet? Yesterday when we drove to a house to go and serve, on my way, I realized my, my massive error in planning. <laughs> and I didn't have any gloves. I didn't have any safety equipment. I didn't have any. We just had two utes and a bunch of hands. And in that, there was a beauty because in two hours, we could use those two things to help someone. Our expression, and then (laughs) our opinions are set aside to give tangible expression to the love that lives inside us. Our quarrels and statements become like dust when faced with tears. And Jesus isn't debating the faith statements of our clique of what we think is right. He is the faith statement lived out into the community. God spoke to me this week. And he said, AJ, we are sitting with a community, and I've communicated this with our team. We're sitting with a community of 250, 300 people. We have two services that are often full and overflowing. We, we struggle for space. And then I had this great moment where I was praying one morning and God said, AJ, and I'm just sharing my journey. He said, AJ, if you can't help two families, quit. And I, I, I looked at Corinna I said, Corinna, if we can't help two families with 300 people, take our salary away from us And give it to an organization that is going to do something with it. Use the money. Redeem it. Just don't pay us. Because if we are not in a space where we ourselves can't help two people, who can? And what hope does this world have if if we can't exhibit a kind of love that moves us into action? 
that breaks us free from stereotypes, that, that shifts us into such a place that, man, AJ, I just can't wait. I can't wait this week. I can't wait for Monday because it's not TGIF. Thank God I'm just, I've just got through the week and I can party on a Friday. It's like, man, Monday's coming. And it's not Sunday's coming. It's not Sunday's coming. That's not the highlight of my Christian calendar because if it is, I'm out. There's other things I can do on a Sunday. I choose to come here because we're going to share more stories, because something's shifting in your life, because the testimonies and things that I hear when I go into, into a room, when I hear you, your life is, is something of, I want to live this out. I want to give expression. I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm burnt out on religion. Do you know someone who said that in the message translation through Eugene Peterson? Jesus the Christ. I am burnt out. Paul, I am burnt out. I am finished. I can't perform any longer. That this pulpit is worthless if I can't do this stuff on a Thursday afternoon after I've had lunch and my energy is dropping. If it's not relevant to the pain that sits in my household, and the tears when my girl's heart's broken. When I can hear my neighbors fighting and I don't do anything about it. When I hear from God and He says, get off your butt and do something for that guy sitting on the street. Yes, the government pays him. Yes, he has multiple excuses. Yes, he's using drugs. So what? What do you think? Who do you think you are that makes you better than that person? Because it's to the least of these. And it's your activity towards people who don't know me that by that I will know that you are my children. And you know what? Others will know that you are my children. It was such a building up process and the band can come up so we can see what God communicates through them. But this week when we, we facilitated and modeled just a very simple thing, get in the car, drive to someone's house, make a difference. And to see God communicate through people that I didn't think He was going to communicate through. I think they were just going to do, do a task. But they were powerfully ministering to people around them in their gift, just the way they are. So church, we're going to have services where we're going to bless each other and love each other. It's so important that we here have community. But may we not grow stale and hard-hearted and insular and exclusive in that process. And will you help us? Because it's us. Will you be part of that? Will, are you taking up this mantle of serving like Jesus did? Are, are you in on this journey? Because you know what? When we identify in baptism, and we have one on Resurrection Sunday, I mean, is, it, is there not a better day <laughs> to die and be resurrected out of the water? Is there not a better day? And we have a week coming up to Palm Sunday, and we've got eight days with Jesus. I'm not playing. This could be the most transformative time of your year where you dedicate yourself to the liturgy of Christ, to the action that's connected to it, to be Jesus in your world. Is it okay that you could be inconvenienced, that you could be affirming, that you could be unconditional just for two weeks? And is it okay that we then come back and we share the stories of that? I mean, are you willing? Like, is this just a one-way street tonight? Just, are oh, that guy's passionate? What is he drinking? What's he on? You know, did someone, someone is he smoking something? I want, I'm, I'm, li I'm literally, I'm literally asking you tonight. I don't want to be cool. I don't want to stand out. I want to ask you. I want to ask you, where are you at? And if you don't discover it, you're going to miss out. Because we pastors are just a very small part of what God is doing in this world. And my prayer for you is that maybe some of this catches fire as we worship tonight and as we sing. And as we have communion, I think the team will do a song and then 
we're going to invite you to come and share communion with us. Just remember something. That when we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ, there is power to it. It is not just a moment that we repeat week in and week out. That we are celebrating the God that made everything revealing Himself to humanity. And so it's up to your experience. And it's up to the level that you are willing to open your heart for God to work in it. It's your choice. God is here. His Spirit is here. Father, thank you that tonight we can get to a place where we're just sharing what you're doing in this community. And it's early days. Father, we ask that throughout this process, even though we are painting a narrative and we are documenting a story, we ask that you help us to be humble as individuals, but also collectively as a church. We ask, Father, that you show us your way, not just your words, but also the way in which you did things. Father, reveal to us your very nature in a new and fresh way tonight as we have communion and as we worship you. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you continue to work in the hearts that you've worked in. And when there's a moment that people are uncomfortable or something has challenged them deeply, that you are there. You are the counselor. You bring all things to remembrance. You are the advocate. Father, you are with them and you can communicate directly with them. And I thank you that even in our mistakes, and even in our times where we misunderstand things, that you come in and you restore all things. And you bring all things together. And it all works out at the end to glorify you even more. Pray that in Jesus' name.